Hey, security peeps, we are live with another edition of Breaking Into Cybersecurities. It is CISO Thursdays on our new time, 1 p.m. Eastern. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping amazing leaders hire awesome talent. Dr. Dan. Dan Schaefer, Peak Performance Strategies, uh, helping individuals get a competitive edge very quickly and almost always under the radar. James Azar. It's Thursday, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's it's CISO Thursdays. Yeah. Hi, everyone. James Azar. <laughs> Chris Fulo. I'm trying to pronounce it the right way, the way he says it. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, everyone. Chris Fulo, security consultant and um, coach. There we go. Naomi. Chris, we're going to talk about your stuff in a second. Naomi, the amazing. It has to start with the amazing. Naomi, oh my. Walter. I don't know if that was said ironically uh, or sarcastically. Hi, everyone. Naomi Buckwalter here to help you guys get into cybersecurity. All right, folks. It is a snowy snow day around the country, probably. I feel so bad for the folks in Texas that I'm hearing that power is coming back. So that's good. Um, you'll probably hear a screaming child on my end, which we're going to try to stay away from. So, James, do you want to kick it off with the topic of the day? Yeah, I guess um, I'll kick it off with the topic of the day. Cybersecurity for good. The cybersecurity, the debate over the cybersecurity oath and the idea that cybersecurity people have a commitment to, like doctors, do no harm. Right and promote the better good of everyone around. And I say that because as we speak, um, Myanmar, a small country in Southeast Asia, that's going through a military coup, that's shut off the internet for a lot of its people. Their internet's at 21% of what it usually is. Um, as the military tries to overthrow a legitimately democratically elected government, and... Um, People are out protesting and a bunch of good hackers. We're going to use the term hackers here because this is how we use the term hackers. So a bunch of very good hackers started attacking the government infrastructure that was designed to suppress the people. A bunch of messaging tools have been customly created for the people of Myanmar so that they can communicate, organize, and fight the coup that's taking in their country. And I think that is the perfect example of why I love being in cybersecurity. And that's what I want to talk about today. I think that's a great topic because for people who want to break into cyber, you have to understand that it's beyond the money. It's also the mission. Absolutely. And I think that also comes in day to day when you're finding vulnerabilities if you're looking for them, um, if you're helping your company make the best decision that you think about the ethics and the morale behind the decisions uh, when you make your recommendations as well. You nailed it. Did something similar happen in India recently? Not with the with the farmers and some, I don't know that's all the details, but something in regards to um, farming and um, the internet being shut down and things like that. Am I on target or no? Yeah. Um, so the India different. thing is a little different, different. from <laughs> what's happening in Myanmar. So the India thing is, uh, is essentially what appears to be a effort by, by some foreign actors to influence India 
India's internal politics. The India thing became really big because of, uh, you know, liberal arts degree holding Greta Thunberg, who, um, <laughs> you know, good old Greta. Because everyone knows, high school she, does she even have a degree? She's like a baby. I, I, you know, at this point, she probably has a bunch of honorary liberal arts degrees uh, from a bunch of places. Child is like fifteen or something. <laughs> um, but uh, Greta Thunberg um, shared um, an activist handbook in India, and the protest isn't really about government suppression, but around the government uh, taking subsidies away from farmers and essentially telling them you know, sell your products. Like the government tries to fix the products of produce so that people can afford to buy produce. And um, the farmers are against that because they want to be in a free and freer market. So, you know, when you got 1.2 billion people in your country, there's bound to be food issues. Right. So different topic. All right. Before we get into it, a couple people, George Gibson, good afternoon, everyone. Kershell, good afternoon all. Hello, Kershell. That's a new person Hello. here today. And Nathan, hi, looking forward to this installment. Feel free to ask your questions, guys, and be able to chime into this as usual lively discussion. Mafus, James talking about hacktivism and attacking Greta. <laughs> this man <laughs> likes living on the edge. <laughs> I do. I do enjoy the edge. <laughs> Well, I before we, we jump into this hard topic, I wanted to give a shout out to Naomi for representing on the Wild West Hacking Fest and her amazing talk in getting into cybersecurity. Uh, I, I felt it was a real come to Jesus moment for any senior uh, cybersecurity professionals looking at it and realizing that sometimes we could be the ones that are... Um, causing the roadblocks for those looking to break in and what we can do to help. And it was a truly refreshing talk. Thank you, Naomi. Oh my gosh. Thanks, Chris. Naomi, we want, I want to hear more about that too. Hmm. You know, so after we get into our hot first topic, James's topic, then we should jump into Naomi's and hear more about talking to the leaders and how that all worked or talking to more peers, more mm -hmm. senior level um, security people. Yeah, I'd like to jump into that too. But I also have some data I would like to show you from James's point. So I asked a LinkedIn, had a LinkedIn poll a few months ago. And my question was, have you ever been asked to do anything illegal, unethical, or morally questionable in your role as an information security professional? And does anyone want to guess how many people answered yes? Like what percentage? Out of 107 responses. I would say... What'd you say? Over 50%. I was not say, quite that high. Oh, I was going to go way up. <laughs> <laughs> so pessimistic. Wow. Maybe it is higher, it is higher per role. So it is higher per role. So uh, out of 107, 33% said yes. But for the roles, 75% of executives said yes. 40% of managers, directors said yes. So it, it was a very high number. Uh, on the senior side. On the so senior side. That well, part was, doesn't surprise me, yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't. So I was going to say 80% if it was leaders. 
from the leaders lead are higher. Yeah. And that kind of concerns me, right? Because like, as leaders, we shouldn't be even thinking about making unethical decisions or, I mean, even if we've been asked to do something unethical, I'm, I'm hopeful at least some of us will stop and say, no, this is bad. You know, it's morally objectionable. Like we should stop them from asking us. I don't know. But. I mean, many of the times that people reach out to me, in terms of uh, changing and transitioning into roles on a leadership perspective, it has something to do with that. That's why I, I thought that, you know, that 75% makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. But what you bring up, I mean, that data of, of people wanting to do or being asked to do anything illegal. I mean, there's a, um, there, there's a debate around kind of what that's considered because legality from jurisdiction to jurisdiction is very, very different. And what could be considered and frowned upon in the U.S. may not be frowned upon or even illegal in other parts of the world when it comes to cybersecurity. Because there is a line that um, people look at CISOs and almost want us to do corporate espionage on their behalf, like take your red team and weaponize it for the company. And you're like, uh, not really how we're supposed to do red teaming. Yeah, but then like a lot of people have a good point. If we are getting hacked, we have literally no repercussion against the people who are uh, breaking into our systems and our networks. Like we all, all we can do is report it to the FBI or, or however other jurisdictions do it. But uh, like I, we are at such a like a, a very bad disadvantage where we know people are intruding in our our networks. All we can really do is block them and patch and do those things. But we can't like fight back. And I well, almost yeah. feel like we're at a point where maybe we should fight back. Well, the, the the downside to fighting back is you don't know that the infrastructure that's attacking you, if that is truly the attacker's infrastructure or that's infrastructure that has been compromised and it's a victim infrastructure that's attacking you. So that then becomes part of the problem. Is this a a false flag operation? Is this a uh, using victim infrastructure to spread um, their malfeasance? Yeah, that's a good so point. that's part of the challenge in attacking back or even proactively um, doing OPSEC is that your actions could spark something that seems like an attack. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you got to look at it from this perspective, though, is most people generally speaking when we talk about hackbacks talk about it from a from a an idea of retrieving data not causing damage so the term hackback when when you actually define it and you ask someone who tells you why can't we go after the bad guys you go what do you want us to do and he's like get our stuff back and that that has a piece to it is nope. is that has to be part of the debate. Are you, can you go back and go after someone who's using your data um, or is trying to use your data? Well, how, how do you know that once your data is extracted and that IP or that infrastructure that you saw the attack came from is the only place it exists? Until you don't. You, <laughs> exactly. So the, the, the chances of quote unquote getting your data back or even removing it from whoever had it, like your chances of that actually happening once it gets out in the wild is is slim to none. Because you can't really assure yourself that you've, quote unquote, taken back your data. 
No, you're right. Some good comments coming up in here. Uh, Nathan says, James, regarding Myanmar, hard to de define at times what is good or bad. I, th I think in the case of like what, what they did there, that's actually good. Um, you know, that's a personal opinion. Again, that's a personal opinion. But what the hackers did um, to, to keep the flow of information going is, is very important because it's, it's the community fighting back. Sharon loved Naomi's talk the other day. We're going to get into that in a second. Cedric is back. Hey, Cedric. Nathan talked about active defense. Um, <laughs> Mafu's not on topic at all, but has to be said. Chris with his shades looked like he's about to unplug people from the Matrix. Chris, we get top. We get talks about. We get hear about your shades like every week. Manju Mood is here. Often the adversaries are more organized, funded, and knowledgeable than the targets, especially nation-state sponsored. Andrew knows all about this stuff. Um, and Mafu says, interesting, I've never come across the term hack back. Cybersecurity ethics is definitely an interesting topic to discuss. Well, something I wanted to bring up and from the comment, active defense. Um, James, I'd love your input on your view of what you consider active defense and where you draw the line from active defense to offensive actions. Okay, so to me, active defense is the line of, you could almost say that deception is part of uh, active cyber defense. So kind of uh, in the idea of honeypots and so forth, um, for me, it's a very, I'll tell you why, um, active cyber defense for me is a very loose term. And it's a loose term because when you're a global CISO and you work in multiple jurisdictions, every jurisdiction has different rules. So active cyber defense, for example, in the US for us is essentially honeypots and deception and kind of the idea of putting out fake data and getting a feel for fake data using threat intelligence to see what data is out there and how much of our fake data is out there and how much of a real data is out there. I think people don't understand that part of, I think, any good cyber strategy is the idea of putting out data that you know is false so that you see how that data is leaking out and you're buying it from marketplaces and you're essentially buying false data back in order to see what's what's it being brokered for, what's it worth, how's it being sold, how's it, you know, who's coming after you. You're trying to kind of, understand how your crown jewels um, are being targeted per se. Naomi? Oh, what? I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> it's like getting called on in class. I'm like, I was working on something. Yeah, um, well, whatever says James says is usually correct. So I'll just say, I agree, James. <laughs> Naomi, the, the reason I asked you is um, because kind of linking to your talk where you said like cybersecurity is not that hard, James's mm. comments of active defense being linked to honeypots and putting out oh, the data data on purpose. Yeah, I did. I was listening, James. I was listening, but I didn't have the <laughs> thought to follow it. So um, yeah, I've heard of that strategy way back in the day when I was uh, first learning cybersecurity. I love that idea. I uh, see where your data is leaking, who's using it, who's buying it, what it's used for is perfect. And uh, it, it does tie back to cybersecurity 
not being technically difficult. You know, you really want to get into the mindset of understanding your attackers, your your threats. So if you understand their point of view and what drives them, their motivations, it's so much easier to defend against it, right? You're like, oh, I know exactly what they're trying to do. Great, now I can defend against it. And I think that's the difficulty of cybersecurity. It's not in the technical, it's really in understanding the human behaviors behind what's driving a lot of the uh, malicious activity that we see. Some good comments coming through here. Um, this is from Carmen Y. The US is so separate, there is no cohesiveness with regards to rules, governance, legalities, vocabulary, software purchases, the whole gamut. So of course they can infiltrate. We are not cohesive at all. Everyone is doing their own thing. The defense that is set in place is just that I believe the cyber world is depending on these mitigations. America isn't hungry enough to protect its infrastructure. I will disagree with that. Um, extensively. Um, we do have some cohesiveness. We're getting better at our cybersecurity cohesiveness. Um, what we lack is tempo and speed. So we can agree that something is going on that's very bad, but where we lack um, and where we seem like we're not cohesive um, is the idea of speed and response. So Generally speaking, the larger the government, the slower things move because of the bureaucracy of it. And that's any government, right? That's also any organizations. The reason startups like PayPal became as powerful as they did was because they didn't have any of the bureaucracy that existed within larger organizations. So the same applies with government, just to make that clear. Now, on the other side of it, we do value cyber defense. And one of the things that's very critical to understand right now is... The U.S. is not a country that powers itself or approaches cybersecurity from a federal perspective. The federal government is in charge of the outer borders and our financial system and our critical infrastructure. But the water plant in Florida, what happened a few weeks ago, that's a county infrastructure. So the county is so many levels far from the federal government that in order for a county to get any sort of federal support, they have to go through the state. And then the state's got to go through the federal government. And, you know, between the state and the federal government, there's a bunch of places where it gets stuck along the way. And, and to add to that, um, I would think, as many know, the U.S. does have an active offense um, team they just don't advertise it until it gets leaked, but um, they're consistently working on ways to uh, track and detect their adversaries. And most of the times the missions that they do don't end up in the headlines um, unless something went wrong. So I, I would say that, uh, I mean, between the NSA, the CIA, and even the different branches of military, um, they have an active defense strategy based on their different domains, um, but it's not being actively publicized because you don't want your adversaries to see exactly what all your capabilities are. Well, and part of it is, part of it, Chris, is um, we here, when Russia hacks us, we have a free media that goes out and says, Russia hacked so-and-so. In Russia, if we hacked their power plant company, right, 
Russia suppresses that news because they don't want anyone to know that happened. So, so I think there's, there's also the idea that in the Western world, because we have free press, free press is more entitled to go after that information. Whereas in some of the countries that are the perpetrators of attacks on the U.S., they don't have, um, they don't have the same transparency. Okay, let's get into some more of these comments here. Um, in response to Carmen's comments, someone says, I think we need intelligent people after we get intelligent solutions. Um, another comment here or a question is, is automation affecting or impacting cybersecurity? That's, I think, an easy yes. Suita says, I think a great incident handling and monitoring be considered active defense too. Absolutely. Mafus, in my humble opinion, every nation on earth is currently underfunding or undervaluing the cyber, cyber defense is unavoidably part of human nature to not pour money into something preventative and instead focus on things that provide obvious tangible benefits. I would disagree there. I mean, there's no nation states that... Um, currently very well fund their defenses and their offensive um north korea being one of them that actually goes out and attempts to monetize and subsidize the income of their nation through actively attacking um countries he continues, um, it's much easier to justify spending on something which you see the results. It's much harder to justify spending when the result is something like, well, you're 25% less likely to get hacked. Thoughts? So uh, let's take this back. Um, and Mafuz, you bring up a great point, um, which is most countries maybe underfund this. I, I, th that's where I think I disagree with you. I, predominantly, a lot of people give a lot of attention to cybersecurity. The only difference is that in most Western worlds, our policies and our priorities shift every election cycle. Now, when we look at the threat actors that are the main perpetrators of some of the, the uh, co consistent cyber security incidents and attacks that happen on most nations, um, Russia's had the same leader since, I think, what, 1990? What Putin came up in like 1998, someone needs to fact check this or some point. The guy's been there longer than, you know, any of us own a pair of socks. Okay, that's a problem. All right. China, they've been run by the CCP now, the Chinese Communist Party, for I think over 70 years. Um, Iran, since 1979 in the Islamic Revolution, they've been run by one leader, the Ayatollah Khomeini. And with their same ideology, North Korea has been run since the 50s by the Kim Jong-un family, the, the Kim Jongs, and then there's Un-il, whatever, all the Kim Jongs of their of sorts for since the 50s. So they all have one consistent thing, just strategy and leadership. We know what we want to do. We don't mind getting small wins because we're here to stick around, Right. Meanwhile, in, in every single Western country, the leaders are elected every four or five years. And so 
if the leaders are elected every four or five years, they've got to show their constituents that they're doing something every four or five years to put a dent into it. But strategy changes. So what people don't understand is we live in an era where people want immediate results. And that happens in politics, that happens in work. How many of you guys ever have your boss come to you and say, hey, I need this thing done and I need it done by three o'clock. And you're like, it's 2.15 and that takes three hours to do. Like that's impossible to get done in 45 minutes. But nonetheless, he's like, I don't want to hear excuses. Get it done by three, right? And now all of a sudden you've got to like scramble and try to get something done. And so our strategies in cybersecurity are very, very similar, So our budgeting and the way our government operates changes with every leadership change. And that's a challenge. Um, And that's a significant challenge because cybersecurity is being used rather than a national security issue as a political pun. Bye, Chris. As a political pun. And that political pun at that point then becomes uh, adjustable. So if we just all agree, if you can get both parties and we have bipartisan support in the Senate, Senator Warner and Senator Rubio on the Senate Intelligence Committee both agree that cybersecurity should not be a partisan issue. But in the U.S., cybersecurity is a partisan issue. And so priorities change and shift every four years. And our adversaries know that. Policy is so dangerous, but I'll just say one thing. Money runs our politics. So if the elites and the people funding our politicians want something to happen, then it will. So I'm just saying if there's any way we can crowdsource, let's put more money into lobbying for cybersecurity. I'm all for it. <laughs> Amen. And I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Mafuz says, James, an excellent point regarding democracies having a curious disadvantage in terms of a persistent long-term strategy due to changing administration. Thanks for the insight, James. I definitely agree. Um, Matt was right in terms of, well, Putin being around since 2000. I, I looked it up real quick and it said 99. So, yep, 99 to 2000. And then guys been around longer than some kids have been born. Some of us have kids that are not as old as Putin's been president. That is the truth. That is the truth. Um, Before this one. So to follow up on what James mentioned, would we be better off if we kept these breaches from getting out to the masses like Russia does? No. No, because in state-controlled nations like China and Russia and Iran, when a breach happens and they quiet it down, the government essentially owns everything. So it owns all means of production. So they know how to go and and, and fix it across the entire enterprise. In the U.S., that's not – in the U.S. and all Western civilized worlds, right, um, and free worlds, that's not the case. And we need it to come out so that other organizations can plan ahead for it. Think if SolarWinds wasn't put out to the public. That would be nuts. That would be nuts. Sartic says cybersecurity is still ignored until there's a breach within any organization. Harsh reality. Yeah, I'd say that's that's fairly accurate. Is there anything the U.S. public can do to defend our country against cyber attacks? That's a great question. Um, Naomi said it. Lobby Lobby. your... Yeah, your congressman. Yeah, who has who, literally who has time to do that, James? Like, I was just thinking about this. That's a ridiculous statement. Like, who has time to raise money, lobby, go to their? So there are like- organizations out there. I'm part of one, the National Technology Security Coalition. Now it's exclusively for CISOs, 
And we were the NTSC when I was on the board, we actually worked with Congress and Senate to get CISA created, funded, and get the CISA CISO advisory board in place. So there are wins. The challenge is it took us three years to get just CISA renamed from the NPPIDDD, whatever it was before that. It was like NPPDPP something. It was really bad. Um, and they weren't really properly funded. And so bringing all cybersecurity under DHS and getting a DHS a cyber mission was something that was done exclusively by Congress because Congress, I know this is very hard to believe right now, but Congress is the legislative body. They get to create laws that stick around forever (laughs) unless they're overturned by another law. And so when Congress does its job, we tend to get wins like CISA. Now we hope Congress will do its job and pass the federal privacy law, which Mm -hmm. will overrule CCPA and the federal data breach notification law. So take a moment. Everyone here probably gets an email from their congressman or senator telling you, you know, I'm fighting for you in Congress. Can I count on your $25 for my campaign? And your reply should be, what are you doing about cybersecurity? (laughs) And I'll give you $25 when you give me an actual answer about Cybersecurity. Thank you. <laughs> we approved this message. Approved. James for this president. Me- this message was approved. <sighs> or at least write to your representative and tell them to co-sign the federal privacy bill. Like at least that's still in is it still in committee? I forget, James. Or is it on It's out list? of committee. It's supposed to hit the floor. Okay. So like at least put your name on it, dude. Like just be like, can you at least put your name on it? That makes me feel better. Well, put no your effort. name on it or just go out publicly and say i'm gonna support this bill and don't wait for like facebook and google lobbyists to come knocking (laughs) on your door and say hey you know that federal privacy bill it's gonna really hurt our business and you know we're really looking to give you a hundred thousand dollar campaign donation for your re-election get the money out of politics get the money out of politics (laughs) yeah good luck with that one (laughs) so nathan um james re uh who were the two people who are the congresswomen and men that are open to lobbying for cyber protection? Say it again. So, so the number one advocate, there's two uh, advocates in the Senate that care about cybersecurity. We lost, there were four, but t- we lost two of them in the last cycle. Um, we lost Cory Gardner in Colorado and we lost David Perdue in Georgia. Uh, right now it's Mark Warner, who's out of Virginia and Marco Rubio, um, small hands, Marco. Um, <laughs> uh, Marco Rubio uh, out of Florida. They're the both. Uh, they're both the chief advocates and voices on the Hill. But significantly, Mark Warner is a friend to the cybersecurity community. Just so that people know, that guy is a gem. He'll take any message, any call, and any meeting with cybersecurity people about how to defend this nation. Uh, to me, Mark Warner is one of the examples of bipartisan politicians in D.C. that cares about the national security of our nation before anything else. Awesome. All right. So Patrick says, so democracy is the greatest threat in cybersecurity. No, politics is the greatest threat in cybersecurity. <laughs> politics is not a good proxy for democracy. Yeah. Politics is not what makes democracy. Oh, Lord. Cedric says, the enemy waits until our country is distracted, and then they attack. Hmm. 
Well, they're distracting us pretty well right now, folks. We're attacking ourselves. Yeah, we're pretty. <laughs> you know, there's the best video of a guy with like wearing a bulletproof vest handing it to the pen tester. You guys have all seen this, right? <laughs> like the whole CISO thing, like a CISO wearing a bulletproof vest, handing a gun to a pen tester and saying, shoot me. I've got a bulletproof vest on it. Then it gets shot in the leg and he goes, what? What are you doing? Because you're <laughs> protecting your upper extremities. Right? <laughs> Oh, goodness. Basic cyber hygiene and security awareness among the public goes a long way, in my humble opinion. That's what C-Suite is. It does. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Mahfouz, can you imagine James as president? Well, we're trying to get him there. He would commit to cybersecurity like Nixon did to NASA landing on the moon. We have one mission. We have one Mission. Get get us to IPv6 first, James, and then we'll talk. Well, <laughs> you know, could you imagine a campaign that's strictly technology? We're going to take over AI. We're going to launch quantum computing, and we're going to secure this nation from a cybersecurity perspective. Sir, what about the economy? Screw the economy. <laughs> Those things first. Those power the economy. By the way, we want robots at McDonald's, and we want Chick Fil A to stay. Like, I seriously think. I, I, I have, we have to go get the COVID vaccine. I got to tell you this funny story. And so we go to the drive-thru of the COVID vaccine and it takes me two hours to get in line. Like, and I was with someone, I took someone to get a COVID vaccine, two hours. And I'm like, I can get a Chick-fil-A sandwich in three minutes with twice as many cars in the drive-thru. Can someone please call Chick-fil-A and be like, we need help distributing vaccines. <laughs> there, was a story of, there was a story of a Chick-fil-A manager who actually did that. Yeah. Like, seriously, like, can we get Chick-fil-A to give mm-hmm. out vaccines at this point? They should run the government, honestly, except for the whole, like, anti-homophobic, whatever it is, like, <laughs> their problems there. Danielle is back with us. She's getting used to our new time. Yes, folks, 1 p.m. Eastern. And I'm seeing some, a lot. I, I love this new time because I see a lot of West Coast people on here. Hey. So James was right. About the new time. James is always right. No, negative. Don't say that. Don't say that. That standard is way <laughs> too high. Way <laughs> too high. Just saying James is wrong. Sometimes he's got a few good sentences to say. Sometimes. Dr. Dan, you can quietly here. Um, I'm going to school on this. this is like, <laughs> I know it's a tech conversation today. This, this is uh, this is wonderful. Tremendous information. But you know, one of the things that I've had to, in discussing with people is how do we convince people how important this stuff is, and uh, how I'm talking to a guy the other day about marketing himself. I said, "Why don't you tell people everything that's not going to happen when your program is activated?" What? So it comes back to the. Thing I've talked about on this before, short-term discomfort versus long-term regret. The quicker and further out into the future you can get somebody to visualize or imagine and bring back the things that they really, really, really don't want to have happen uh, helps them to make them motivate to this because it comes back to, uh, you know, things that impact them financially, uh, emotionally, and reputation-wise. And all of those things fly into into cybersecurity. You know, if somebody hires the wrong person, and that what does that do to their reputation as a recruiter? Uh, you know, when, when somebody avoids information, so it's, it's telling people, here is the person you don't want to be. And I think all of us could probably uh, talk a bit about who you don't want to be. You don't want to be the guy that goes, oops, I missed it. So, you know, but it, it, it comes back to 
the human side, the soft side of, of what's going on inside companies uh, and why it's blocking you. So what, what blocks stuff? Uh, what, what, ha- what upsets a, a system? It's that people need to be thinking differently about stuff. And how do we uh, get them to think about it? Excellent points. Mahu says, Dr. Dan will take us to 2026 and tell us what we cannot afford to have happen. And that is the truth. Uh, Nathan says, if Amazon did vaccines, you would get vaccinated by Monday tomorrow if you have Prime. That's that's also very true. If government gets out of the way and just lets, lets companies do what companies do best and that's compete. I mean, that's, by the way, I think a lot of people don't understand this in cyber, but from a CISO perspective, I don't think you guys understand how difficult it is from a regulatory standpoint to do cybersecurity with some of the compliance rules that are in place. Like compliance in times is a, is a hindrance to doing effective cybersecurity. And when different states, for example, like with CCPA, when different states pass different laws, um, it creates a challenge. And now, and this goes to like Mafuza's point earlier, right? Like people don't want to spend enough money. Well, I can only get so much money, but compliance and privacy falls under security. So I've got a budget out of my budget instead of worrying about building my defense in depth strategy and my active cyber defense that we talked about earlier. I now have to allocate budget to comply with rules and laws that sometimes make no sense. How do you think they get into place? I mean, not how do you think? How do they get into place? Like, are they not um, educated by the people who are who are in the know, who understand what is at stake when these laws get put into place? So or are I, they just outdated laws? So, so part of it is outdated laws, but the uh, the other part of it is it's it's money and politics. So some company somewhere has a way to make money off of something. And so they're going to lobby Congress to make it so that you've got to create a market for it. And that's how some of this stuff happens. So when you look at like data breach notification, so data breach notification, you guys, um, everyone here, everyone who's watching us has heard the numbers like a breach can cost the company $5 million, right? Just in response. Well, 60% of that is lawyers. That's the ugly underbelly of incident and, and breach response. FireEye, I'm not endorsing anyone by saying this, all right? So let me just say that. But FireEye or, or, or Silence or any incident response company, KPMG, PW, they don't cost that much to do incident response, right? But lawyers, today I have, if I go through a data breach, I have to notify 50 state attorney generals. And every single one of them has a different way of which you got to notify them. Some of it is uniform, but some of it isn't, right? So that's an additional cost that I incur. So that's 60% of whatever that, that number is. And there's a bunch of different numbers out there. But, you know, 40 to 60% of that number goes to lawyers. Lawyers, to do what? Notify you. When all I needed to do with a federal law is just say notify the FTC. And then the FTC goes, this company's been breached. This is the data that's been breached. Here are your rights. Different states have different 
different laws. And you saw that with Equifax, right? With like the class action. I've never seen a class action lawsuit settled so fast in my life. Anyone ever seen a class action lawsuit settled under three years? No, last forever. Thank you for that explanation. You know, James, you talk about compliance. I see compliance coming up a lot, particularly in companies I do client attraction business development programs for. And we have to go completely away from the company. I don't communicate with people on their private emails. It's all cell phones. And uh, because the compliance issues, it's, you know, there are some financial service organizations, I'm sure you're aware, that uh, they read everything that comes in. So if you work for, a, if you're a portfolio manager and you get an email, somebody's reading it. Yeah. And, and that's right. And that gets in the way of a legitimate uh, effort to grow a company. Yeah. More comments here. Congrats on having 11 people hired. Woohoo! Yes. Yeah, I think we're going to have 13 by tomorrow. I got two very encouraging messages um, before we came online today. Woo-hoo. So I'm yeah. hoping tomorrow we can announce two more and we'll be closer to that 221 that Chris set forth and then ran away after 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> set us up. But this is good. I'm, I'm so excited about anyone that gets hired. It is awesome. Life changing, um, like totally life changing. Mafu says the question is, do not, do you not, do you want to be hacked? The question is not, do you want to be hacked? The question is, how badly do you not want to be hacked? Um, let's see here. How well do you think the Electronic Frontier Foundation and Mozilla, there may be other orgs I'm not aware of, are doing with their programs and lobbying and digital security and cyber awareness with the public and the U.S. government? Not aware of either. Okay. Naomi, are you? I don't know anything about these. Um, there was a comment. That's exactly what I mean. We are disjointed. When you were talking about going to 50 states, I think that's, that's the, the comment. Yeah, but that's that's not disjointed in terms of cybersecurity policy. That's disjointed in terms of like outdated rules and compliance, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and the original thing of disjointed was our cybersecurity strategy and response is that. Brent is here. Brent Hutfuss says, agree, James, and while the regulations are well-intended, they often approach issues from an academic standpoint instead of thinking of the operational realities organizations face, whether SMB or enterprise. Yeah, you guys should check out my podcast with Brent. We just dropped it yesterday. I saw that come out. I can't wait to see it. It's really, really good. It's like an hour and 26 minutes, but I promise you it's worth every minute. Brent dropped the mic on every conversation <laughs> on that podcast. Like it was, it was really, really good. All right, folks, you got to go listen to that. Brent is a friend to the show. He's been here. So we got to go make sure that we uh, check him out on James's podcast too. Danielle says, what about the other countries? Danielle, I don't know where this fell into um, some of the questions here, but we'll get to it. <sighs> Uh, Mafu says on what based on what James is saying now, having to follow each state regulation one by one sounds like a nightmare. It is national social awareness campaign is needed. Brent says thanks, kudos. One European customer, and you have to abide by the cyber laws of the European Union. That's incorrect. 
that's incorrect. You don't need one European customer. You need you, you in order to uh, compl- in order to um, for GDPR to be compliant to be enforced on you. You got to have like you got to be actively marketing in Europe, and you got to have like over five thousand or or five hundred. I forgot what the number is for uh, European customers, but you also have to be actively marketing in Europe. What James says is about <laughs> says saying about a lawyer's costing a ton of money during data breaches reminds me of an old joke. Two people can be fighting over a cow and the lawyer will sit in the middle collecting <laughs> But foods, you are hilarious. That is good. Um, Trevor wants to know the name of the podcast. The CISO Talk. CISO Talk podcast. So if you follow James, everybody here should be following James. And then, James, you have a page for CISO Talk, right? And then you're on YouTube and everywhere else. Yeah, so, we're we're all over the place. But, yeah, um, we'll, we'll have some exciting news in the next few weeks for you guys, too. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, we can't wait. Cannot we can't wait. wait. Cannot wait. Um, CISO Talk podcast, yes, that is the one. CISO Talk podcast, where CISOs come to talk additional CISOs. Yeah. And also check out my episode 100 with Naomi. Naomi was my 100th episode <laughs> guest on the podcast. Yeah, that was awesome. I was your backup though. Your backup 100. No, you were not my backup. You were my first choice. I reached what? out to you like two months before. Oh, I, think I told okay. you in November, I was like, Hey, I'm getting close to episode 100. What do you want to be on? That changes my whole outlook on life. Thank no, you. you were not my backup. You were the star. <laughs> I was like, I'll be the backup. It's all good. Oh my gosh, Brent says, well, you have an agreement with an org that has required GDPR of all of its franchisees. Ask how I know. Oh, I don't want to find out. Like that, that sad face right there just tells you everything about that conversation. <laughs> that just sounds so painful. Oof. Uh-oh, new buzzword, buzzword. <laughs> how does everyone feel about the new buzzword, XDR? <laughs> The same way I feel about any other buzzword. It's buried in my graveyard. I miss that. What's XDR? I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. XDR, I think, is like the new uh, EDR term. Oh, no. Another version of You can't just replace them with X's. Come on, people. Everything is in there. If you want to blame buzzwords, I just want everyone to go to Gartner and just write them hate mail because they are the ones that come up with this crap. It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. And we we lap it up. We just get the spoons and stick it right in our mouth. Well, that's because it's like a bunch of marketing people. Like, you know that like the rooms of like politicians smoking cigars? I imagine a similar rooms with like marketing people in cybersecurity going like, <laughs> what do you want to name your technology? <laughs> Is everyone on board? Everyone's on board. <laughs> Cheerio, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably exactly <laughs> cross layer detection and response. Oh my gosh, that is the hashtag magic quadrant. <laughs> Here we go. The floodgates have opened. <laughs> that totally is what it is. I guess we're not getting sponsored by Gartner, guys. Yeah, I know. We have a good friend over at Gartner. Um, Chris, what's his name? <laughs> his last name? Not anymore. He's not a good friend. <laughs> He's not a friend anymore. He's not a friend anymore. Well, Naomi and I just supported his his, his whole platform. That's speaking. Um, I'll pull up his name in a second. XDR needs to come down with 
<laughs> Cobas. Cobas. <laughs> <Cobas. laughs> <laughs> oh, friends. Totally. Totally. Brent's feeling um, silly today. <laughs> Chris said I used to work there, so I can make that joke. <laughs> I think it was Chris. Yeah, Chris, Chris Brown, probably. I was Chris thinking about Brown. him. Yeah. And then another, there's another person. Naomi, we just did these, these uh, recorded talks. Um, I forget his name. That he has like 20 something different security people uh, with a conference going on the week of the 20, uh, I think next week, the 20. Hmm. I forget his name. I just spoke with a, a group yesterday, the PA Hackers. That was fun. Nice. Brent said it has been a rough week. Lord oh, sorry, Lord. Brent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just lost your it's Gartner. Gartner's never funded anyone or anything but themselves. I disagree <laughs> with you there. Gartner, not the other way around. <laughs> yeah, we pretty much, you know, Gartner's like a lobbying group. Like, you don't know what they exist, but they're there. <laughs> it's Marcos, Marcos Chris Dante, Crystal Dante. They put out some good things though, like their white papers. I appreciate yeah. when when they're free. I appreciate their <laughs> white papers. <laughs> Otherwise, you're paying seven hundred, eight hundred bucks for like a twenty page PDF. Oh man, Mafus has more joke. James also always same shamelessly self plugging his podcast. We're friends here. We all we all. No, plug. but I, I I'm not shamelessly plugging my podcast. Brent came up, you know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> last comment. Last comment. I will put that on every single podcast for the next week if everyone commits to doing that right now. <laughs> Defund Gartner. Oh my. <laughs> Mafuz, yes, start a movement. Ephraim Gartner. Watch Gartner be like the the. They've got like a whole underground oh of gosh. mafia folks. They're like the mafia of cybersecurity. Gartner. So I'm gonna plug my little. Um, I have a group that I work with once a year. Well, over the years, but every year we have a conference, a women's conference, um, and we are gonna be doing donations soon. It's called the Power Up Women's Conference. And what we do every year is we help. We So there's a women's conference and there's a teen component. Um, and with the teens, we introduce them into um, cyber. So it's all about awareness. As we all know, with young people in particular, you know, they see different um, professions out there, but they don't see cybersecurity as a profession. So I've been working with this group over the past, I think, for three or four years now and the security community has been amazing because you've sponsored teens over the years uh, and, and the teens get like this awesome experience um, and it's a part of a women's conference. It's called Power Up Women's Conference. So I'm going to be sharing more information from now until March 13th, I believe is when it is. Each teen is 10 bucks. So if you want to sponsor a team, let me know. So that is my commitment to sponsoring teams. Excellent. I'll sponsor five teams actually. That would be 10 bucks a team. I'll sponsor five. 10 bucks a team. Thank you so much, James. I'll sponsor five. So, anybody else want to sponsor teams? Keep me, let me know. And thank you, Naomi. I mean, the cyber community is crazy because we kind of took over the whole thing last, the last, I think, two years and were able to sponsor. I think last year we sponsored. Last year they were a little bit more expensive because they get a, they, you know, it was in a hotel and they get lunch and all that stuff. But now it's virtual, um, and I think we were able to get 
40 or 15, something like that. I think 40 or so teens, maybe 45. Um, so this year, hopefully we get a ton since it's virtual and obviously we can get, you know, more broad, but it's more of teens in Bal the Baltimore area, the Washington DC metro area. A lot of them are, um, you know, and from disenfranchised communities and would never get this kind of exposure or, you know, definitely not get the exposure that they had the last couple of times in the hotels and being a part of the women's conference. So, so by the way, Renee, there's a movement right now. Um, and Naomi, you guys, I think will really like this, um, writing, um, children's book about women in STEM. So there's a bunch of books that are coming out for young girls to inspire them to get into STEM by telling really cool stories of, um, you know, like superheroes essentially of women in STEM. So, um, I'm, I'm doing some fact checking on one of them and the author has not yet allowed me to disclose the full kind of uh, name of the book yet. Um, but it's a series of books about a, a, a female superhero that's in the computers from a very young age and, and goes to work for the NSA and, you know, is a virtual superhero that people don't know about essentially. So yeah. it's a really cool book series. And I think that'll be awesome. And, I'll see if she'll she'll be willing to donate books to your foundation as well to your group. So that way, you know, instead of reading Barbie and Cinderella, um, and Snow White, you know, telling our kids about a woman who's hanging around with seven dwarf men in a cabin, we can teach them something to inspire them. Disney is perverted when you look at it as an adult. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> that, that's like the car accident that, that happens, and a guy rear-ends some guy, and a guy jumps out, and uh, he says, I'm not happy. And the driver says, well, which one are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Renee, when you, when you come back to fundraising, I have that golf program that raises a significant amount of money for people who really want to invest in play in their golf game better. Uh, the donations could be up around $500 to an organization. And we donated it some years ago to BlackRock Financial with kids with cancer. And mm -hmm. the thing was auctioned off at $27,000. Wow. So that was to a Wall Street audience. But uh, there, there's a vehicle, anybody who has to raise funds for this. And now it's all done virtually. So it's, it's very, very interesting. So talk to me about it. I will. Very cool sound. And Patrick said he's in. Thank you so much, Patrick. So, yeah, we, we shook it down last year. We pretty much, the cybersecurity community pretty much sponsored all the teams. So they're excited for us to be a part of it again. Um, so cool. Anything else before we wrap? Yeah, Naomi's talk. So, Naomi, can you give us yes. an outline a little bit of, oh, uh, of what you said? More. Because I, I, oh. I missed it yesterday, unfortunately. And um, what you sent me wouldn't download on LinkedIn. So can no. you give us like your elevator pitch? LinkedIn PDFs haven't been downloading. Uh, yeah, this is what I posted a while ago about security not being difficult, uh, just to stir up some controversy and it worked. And so I just did about a half hour talk on what we can do better. And so uh, just consolidating a lot of the types of posts I've been posting recently along with people's uh, input. So I think it worked out pretty well. Um, I think I made a good point there, but it's really a message I think worth repeating, which is we need more people in cybersecurity because we are overworked, 
burned out and stressed. So if we had more people burden sh shoulder uh, sharing the load, sharing the burden, we have a better chance of fighting together and winning. And right now we are not. So what about the, what part, um, because Chris said it was a come to Jesus moment for some, some of the leaders or some of the, uh, some of the more seasoned security people. What was it that? Um, come to Jesus. Yeah. So we are in our own, we're our own worst enemies. And I've said this, like, we're the reason why people aren't getting in. We're the gatekeepers sometimes. And I think we just have to tell ourselves the truth, which is uh, we're hurting ourselves by doing this. And cybersecurity really is not that difficult to learn. And if we are willing to train and mentor, and yes, it takes patience, it takes a little bit of risk, it takes a lot of courage. But if we do this, we will set ourselves up for success in the future. And if we ever want to retire, right, James, you and I are going to retire at 45. Uh, you know, the next generation of cybersecurity professionals will follow us and be very successful just because they've learned from our generation. That's what we want. You, by retiring, you mean we're going to burn out by 45? That, that's no it. way. You can't. I quoted James a few times there. Uh, we will not allow it. <laughs> we will not allow it right now. What, what would you ever do when you say I'm retired? How would, what would you do the, day, the time your feet hit the floor the next day? James going to be president. You wouldn't know what to do. I would teach. I think if all jobs paid the same, I think I would teach. I, I do have a passion of uh, okay. teaching. <laughs> Nathan says uh, Naomi. <laughs> Let us in. He's been trying for a while. Nathan, we got to make you part of our 221 in 2021. Yeah. Um, Nathan, there's a link for you to submit your CV through, and then it goes through a database, and, and, and people have access to that and so forth. And so, yeah, and, and we should tag my boy Asif Ahmed. He just switched to uh, Chrome Enforcer, and they're looking to hire people as well. So reach out to Asif Ahmed and let him know I sent you. Uh, they've got a bunch of roles that are open and we'll we'll keep promoting, you know, people within the community. Um, and if you're looking to hire people, I've got my, um, you know, cybersecurity veteran network with all of our veterans. You know, we they post jobs there all the time um, and so forth. Like, I mean, getting in, it's it's really putting yourself out there. And you just got to put yourself out there and let people know what you're looking for. And like I said, continue to do like do those one minute videos and put them out and use 221 and 2021 as the hashtag and we'll share them. I mean, yep. people do get hired from that, believe it or not. You just have to put yourself out there. If you're doing the same thing over and over again and nothing changes at some point or another, understand that that's not the system. It's, you know, it's, you kind of have to stand out from the crowd to get attention. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. It was such a good thread today um, on, it was, I think Mafus posted it and JJ chimed in and I, I was reading it. I didn't get to chime in, but JJ pretty much said it all. But he 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 kind of said exactly what James said. There was a question. The guy was like, well, if you are, um, if you are looking at, or if you're just all over social media, I would think that a leader would think like, what is this person doing with their time? And they don't, you know, they're all over social versus actually working and actually doing. And so um, JJ was kind of responding like, that's not the way it works, dude. Like, you know, if you're in, the, in a corner doing your work, how do people know what you're doing? How do people know what you're passionate about, what you're working on, that kind of stuff. So I think there is this thing around I think there's a couple, you know, there's there's just the fear of probably putting yourself out there just as a whole, because two years ago when I was trying to get people to do this, it was a very few and far between. 
Um, so there's that fair, but you know, just jump in and do it. It's easier than you think. We can, you know, work and help help you if you want to practice. You know, say it to say it in the mirror 10, 20 times and then boom, do it by your camera and get get that done. Like we said, the young lady that got it that did it, she did a 30 second, it wasn't even a minute. It was like, hi, I'm such and some, you know. Here I am. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm interested in. I mean, it was just the quickest video. And in less than 24 hours, this young woman had an offer. So, and she did it on like, she did it Thursday after we talked about it. And by Friday, she had an offer. She had an offer. I mean, it was nuts. She had an offer. And it was not elaborate. It was not, you know, it was her cell phone. You could tell if she had a white background. You know, it was nothing special. She just was engaging, excited and wanted to work and you know we shared it around and boom she got hired so bring back the human in hr bring boom. back the h in hr that right and the doing. human aspect yeah. of it is the video the reason everyone is tuning in the reason you guys tune into this podcast to this like live show that renee does beyond just how awesome renee and chris are and naomi and dr dan and james yeah. <laughs> all right Okay. Is, is because you see us and there's a human aspect because every time you guys write something, Renee is is right there pointing it out and putting you and letting everyone know what you're saying. And that's the human aspect. And in HR, a lot of times we take it to a piece of paper that looks just like this. And from this, we're supposed to get an idea of who you are. Yes. But if you do so a 60 second video, now you're bringing back the human in HR and that's really important to stand out from a crowd. And, and let me tell you this, guys. Um, you may not know this, but the unemployment rate, I mean, yesterday's, if you guys don't pay attention to this, and some people don't, the unemployment claims rose yesterday by 300,000, 861,000 people applied for unemployment. That's insane. And there's going to be more people in the workforce and there's going to be more people looking to transition and there's going to be more people looking for industries that are hiring like cyber. And as that flooding of candidates starts to come through over the next six months and 12 months, as these people start to do boot camps, you have to separate yourself from the crowd and you've got to be able to step outside your comfort zone um, and do something, something great and, 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 and put yourself out there. And if yeah. you don't do that, then you're never you're never really gonna gonna get to where you're gonna want to go. So true, James. I was on with um, PA Hackers last night, Pennsylvania Hackers, and Brandon Keith. Thank you, Brandon, for inviting me. Had and he, you know, this question came up over and over again. Um, and every single point you make is so true in regards to the having that human interaction, bringing the age back in HR, you know, letting people see you. And they, one of the questions they kept, they kept coming up was do hiring managers actually look on LinkedIn? I was telling them your LinkedIn profile should be better than your resume. I was like, that's where everyone goes. Half of the time when I'm recruiting, I'm sending LinkedIn profiles to the leaders. Hey, take a look at this person. Take a look at this LinkedIn because we might not have a resume yet. So LinkedIn is key. Social is key. We are at an hour and two, min two minutes. So I want to make sure that I'm being cognizant of everyone's time and we'll wrap. So Naomi, you want to say something before we leave? Yeah, guys, just remember to contribute to the community. If you want to be seen and be visible, you want to start creating your original content. Put yourself out there. Don't be shy. Just tell people what you know. Contribute back to the community and we'll come back to you tenfold. Totally.
and more about this uh, unemployment rate, Fed Chair is saying the real rate is probably 10%. So It's going to get worse over the next 18 months. So just hunker down, hunker down, folks. But we'll be here. Sisla Thursdays will be here to help you navigate it. Absolutely. All right, everybody. This was fun. See you all next week, next, next week. Thursday for Sisla Thursdays. Bye. Bye. Sawatika. <laughs> <laughs>